Well, hey, friends, welcome back to the Space for Faith podcast, where we are having conversations to reimagine the church for our current moment. My name is Mike Goldsworthy, and I get to host these great conversations with folks who are trying to wrestle through what it takes seriously, the idea that we are a part of a rooted faith, that we don't get to make this thing up, it is handed down to us, and at the same time, we are taking this rooted faith and we're reimagining it. We're reimagining what does it look like to live this thing out in our day, in our time, and that these are people who are doing that in all sorts of different ways, who see some different ways forward, who are holding different kinds of tension, but that are trying to that are trying to do both of those things simultaneously. So I'm so glad that you are with us and that that maybe is in some sort of way the part of your journey as well that you're having. And we've got a great conversation today with actually a seminary president. We're going to have a few uh, seminary conversations coming up because uh, some of these folks are on the front lines of this, of trying to figure out and trying to live out and are ahead of some of us on actually living out this sort of tension of a rooted and reimagined faith. And so, uh, so excited for you to get to meet my friend Dan Lowry in just a few minutes. But before we get there... A couple of things to keep you updated on. I know a bunch of you are coming out to Denver with us in October, October 11th and 12th for our post-evangelical collective. It will be so good to see so many of you where we have pastors and artists and other church leaders who are reimagining the church for our current moment. And so we'll gather together at Denver Community Church We will hang out for a couple of days. We've got some great folks uh, sharing uh, just a few brief thoughts. So people like like the ethicist David Gushy, the um, pastor and incredible speaker Gail Song Bantam, the historian and leader of Faith and Justice Network, uh, Peter Choi, some great folks like that. And we've got these like great workshops as well, like Meredith Miller and Sarah Swartz and Druber talking really practically about like how do we do children's ministry in this space? What does that look like? We've got uh, a gun violence prevention conversation and actually workshop for folks that have been leading that conversation in churches. How does our church engage in this? Well, we've got things about leadership wellness and and like, how do you take care of yourself well? And then like, how do you dismantle uh, toxic leadership and make sure that like the kind of leadership that you're creating in your church isn't creating a toxic sort of structure and like, how do you have a better way forward? So great workshops. And then lots of space also to have conversations, lots of space to interact, lots of space to not just sit and receive content, but to interact with each other. So it's going to be a great couple of days. If you haven't registered yet, there is information on my website, mikegoldsworthy.com. would love to have you there. Then secondly, I want to let you know that I have been partnering with uh, Logos or Lagos, depending on who was your Greek teacher. And if you don't know Logos, they are a great Bible software program. I've been using it on my Mac for quite a long time. Uh, my guess is probably 15 or so years I have been using it as a great tool and aid for when I'm doing research, for when I'm writing sermons. It is open every single time I write a sermon, when I'm just doing my own sort of personal study. And I continue to build collections of resources there, and it's a great tool that I can access on my phone, on my iPad, all of that. 
Anyways, we're partnering with them. You can get discounts by buying through a link that not only gives you a discount in buying the program, but it also then give, like helps to support me and my work. And so if you want to do that, the the website you can use is logos.com, L-O-G-O-S, logos.com slash space for faith, all one word, logos.com slash space for faith. And then finally, uh, I have put up on my website on mikegoldsworthy.com a list of ways that I have been working with and partnering with churches and nonprofits and other organizations and individuals, leaders, really, over the last few years. And if there's some sort of way I could partner with you and be helpful for you, I'd love to do that. So you can check that out on mikegoldsworthy.com, and I would love to get connected and have a conversation if you just want to talk about what that might look like. So that has been like five minutes of commercials. I apologize for that. Maybe you've skipped over it all, but we're going to jump into this great conversation now with my friend Dan Lowry, who is the president of Pillar Seminary. Well, friends, I'm excited for you to get to meet a friend of mine named Dan Lowry, and Dan is the president of Pillar Seminary. And uh, Dan, we've been getting to know each other over the last uh, several months, really over Zoom for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got to first meet briefly at the gathering uh, that we had in South Bend last October. And then we've gotten to connect and, and gotten to hear a bit about the work that you're doing. So thanks thanks for making time to be with me today. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Um, well, Dan, I would love to start with giving people a little bit of a picture of kind of like of who you are and how you got to be to the point of um, seminary president, because I assume if you're the seminary president that you're the most spiritual um, and, and, and also the most intellectual person. So you've got the combination of those two for that. So like, what was the road that got you to that point? Yeah. Well, I have, I guess, uh, first of all, that was me laughing in the background (laughs) at, at what you were saying. I think my story is one that it feels like I'm basically from adulthood on of the Lord dragging me into various vocations that I didn't really think I was fit for or even wanted to do hmm. and uh, away from the things I thought I wanted to do. And the presidency here is is no different. Um, I, I think I have mentioned some of this before to you, but I started out thinking uh, towards the end of seminary, my seminary career, that I would go into teaching and went and pursued a doctorate in uh, biblical studies and Near Eastern studies, and then couldn't find a teaching job anywhere. Uh, I found some temporary appointments, but no, no permanent thing. And the Lord dragged me back to the church where I served as a seminarian to serve as a senior pastor. And uh, it was some number of years that I it, it took to finally become content and uh, sad to say, fall in love with the church and meet Jesus afresh in a way that I never had before and uh, really come to understand what all of life and ministry is about is following Jesus and equipping others to do the same. So that began, I suppose, a long journey towards where we are now. I was asked to teach New Testament classes with an Old Testament degree uh, some number of years ago Mm. for Pillar Seminary by a friend of mine, Eric, Dr. Eric Smith, who founded together with Dr. Scott Booth uh, Seminary. And uh, 
in a real similar sort of way, had to learn on the job and, and was struggling with imposter syndrome, teaching in areas that weren't my areas of expertise, certainly interest, but not expertise. And then Eric moved on a couple of years ago and I was asked to assume his role. And it, it's a similar sort of, as uh, nothing I ever planned for, nor really thought I would want, but here we are, this is where the Lord has me and I'm still struggling with imposter syndrome, but finding the Lord here at work in wonderful ways and ways mm. that he is increasingly equipping me. And of course, I should say as well, the wonderful team that I have uh, around me with just a phenomenal board, wonderful faculty, wonderful, wonderful staff. Uh, that really is a, all of this is a testament to the Lord's faithfulness. I love that. Well, yeah, I want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing in a minute, but I'm remembering as you were just sharing that, like one of the things that we, I think, connected over early on was that idea of kind of being dragged into it, that like that was my story. I never wanted to go into ministry. That was not the plan for my life. Felt kind of called and compelled into it, stepped into it, and I thought I'd be a youth pastor for life, and I was only a youth pastor for a few years before like getting called and dragged and pulled into an, another role and um, and then eventually becoming senior pastor, which was never, that was not on my life plan bucket list uh, to be a senior pastor. <laughs> yep. I mean, I had lots of images of what that is and who that is, and that was not me. Um, and I often identified with, uh, I think it's Jeremiah 19, where like the the way that I understand it, and I I don't like saying these things in front of like an Old Testament scholar because I'll probably I probably have got it wrong. Listen, let me assure you, I'm a generalist. That means I know a little <laughs> bit about a lot of stuff. That's, go ahead. Well, You're safe. The with way me. that I understand the Hebrew of, of <laughs> Jeremiah 19 is um, that it's essentially Jeremiah saying to God, "You seduced me." Like you seduced me into this. And mm -hmm. it's where Jeremiah is like, I try to like, I try to shut up. I try to stop doing this thing. And your word is like a fire in my bones. I try to contain mm -hmm. it and I can't. And, but right before that, he's like, you seduced me into this thing. You and did now this look to at me. what it's gotten me. <laughs> yeah. You did this yeah. to me. Yeah. Oh man. That's true. I, I spent um, probably a decade in various kinds of ministry roles of ministry like you did. And then left for PhD studies. And the one job I swore I'd never do was become a senior pastor. <laughs> and here, <laughs> there, there I went. So, yeah, uh, I mean, Lord it's so interesting. Such a humor. Well, there is like a movement. There are some people who are like, in the same way there would be in any industry, that it's like, I want the top job and that they're trying to build their resume or take the next stepping stone, whatever, to that. And then there's some of us are like, why the hell would we ever want to do that? <laughs> Like, do you know, do you know what's involved in that? Do you like, yeah. um, and then here you are like, it, it's fascinating to me. The same thing is fascinating to me about somebody who goes into ministry, who ends up leading a large organization, essentially, right? Like you, as a senior pastor, you become a CEO and you're dealing with budgets and you're dealing with administration stuff and you're dealing with staff development. You're dealing with all these things that are not necessarily why you went into ministry, and I would imagine the same thing is true for somebody who gets their PhD in uh, in the uh, in Near Eastern Studies and then ends up as the president of a seminary that it was like, I just wanted to talk about these things that I find super interesting. And now I'm dealing with budgets and finding students and raising money and all of the and, and dealing with all the cultural like stuff that's going yeah. on in the church right now. Yeah. Like, is that it is uh, it is not quite what I expected. And. Uh, I'm 
reading through one, uh, it's a handbook for seminary presidents, a real helpful resource compiled um, by various seminary presidents. And one essay really caught my attention with the phrase, uh, you just die a, a thousand little deaths and uh, death to my academic dream and death to my, hmm. uh, my writing career, it seems like in order to um, be, I guess, born fresh from the soil here in this new vocation. And yeah, it has, it's been a, it's been a struggle to, to watch my, um, my field start to pass me by these last couple of years and my own advancement in it is understandably taking a backseat to the new job and learning how to do things and uh, just settling into what the Lord's doing and, and obviously has for me now in this moment. And so it's, huh. it's, a. Uh, it's it's bittersweet, but but here we are, and like I say, the Lord is obviously at work, and it's it's been real fun to try to keep up. So. I'm super curious for folks that are listening that are like maybe in some similar places that it was like they had some dreams of like how they thought things were going to go, and they are feeling pulled maybe in another direction, or maybe they're even feeling stuck in another direction. Like, what is it yeah. that like they're I would imagine there's some sort of reason why you are willing to let those other things die, at least for a season. Um, what, like, what is compelling to you about that? Well, you know, it might speak to how unreflective I am as I make commitments. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, I think the the opportunity to be where the Lord is at work and really have a hand in participating or serving uh, most effectively, that I, I, means. I have been willing to learn my way into things. Uh, one one uh, frequent saying of my father is, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And uh, <laughs> not a license for mediocrity. I'm sure he stole that from someone else. But uh, r- really, this this is just invaluable, what it is that I'm getting to do now as a part of this group of people who are doing this thing. And, yeah. uh, and it, it is worth doing before I'm, become an expert. I don't know if I ever will become an expert, but uh, to really just, uh, I think that's what it is, compelled by the opportunity to serve the Lord in ways that I feel are quite strategic and and really opportune at this moment in American church history, as we were talking about uh, before. It, it The strategy of getting to pour into servant leaders in the church is, uh, is a multiplicational strategy that I wasn't, uh, wasn't really able to to participate in as a local church leader alone. Hmm. Uh, so, so I think that's, that's some of what makes all of the, <laughs> the brutality of the learning curve more than worth it. I'm now able to have a hand in what the Lord's doing, training leaders all across the world. It's just incredible to think about. Yeah. It just blows my mind every time I think about it. Well, so as you look at like the larger church landscape, Christian landscape at this moment in time, like, what is it that's compelling to you about like, oh, what the work that I'm doing is so needed right now. Like, what, what are you seeing? What are you noticing? Well, I, more and more, I'm realizing I, I have no real understanding or grasp of uh, all of the things that are going on around me. Mm-hmm. It's just so much, it feels like accelerated change that, and, and, the church I used to know, I, I think I share with you uh, a general evangelical upbringing. And so those are my contexts and the the changes over the last number of years feel especially accelerated now. 
just the the landscape is changing, but maybe even more rapidly than um, it otherwise used to, I guess. And I think with that, there's a it, in in my context uh, a sifting, uh, a winnowing. It feels like a separation where well, this is the gathering and your collective that is addressing this as well, and a specifically response to the evangelical world. I think the sifting is a little bigger than that, though at least in our country and our Western American context, as partisan politics comes to be infused in so much of religious expressions all across uh, conservative denominations, mainline denominations, Catholic, Orthodox, uh, it really is just kind of overtaking uh, a, a lot of what I feel like used to be more separate and distinct and set apart. Hmm. Um, one of the things that I've been noticing, well, uh, in my experience, as I serve as an adjunct professor for mostly for ministry classes. And, um, one of the things that, that we've seen happening over the last 15 years is a decrease of ministry majors mm -hmm. and it's an undergrad program. So, um, but we've seen, we've seen a decrease of ministry majors over the last 15 years or so. But then coming out of the last, I don't know, since maybe 2015, 2016, one of the things that I've also noticed is a kind of like, why would I ever go into ministry? Like that there's, um, uh, you're just going to get beat up. You're just, there's no winning there. It's just a sort of dead end experience. Are, are you seeing that same sort of um, decline of, intentional vocational ministry pursuits? Uh, it's hard not to import my own uh, cynicism from my, my ministry experience sure. into answering that question. Uh, that has been my experience and the experience of uh, fellow pastors in, in my circles. I don't know if I see it as much at our seminary level. We have yeah. uh, maybe a different slice of life. Uh, that we that we serve a little more intentionally with our seminary, but I, I do believe that's a trend. I, I think the the I, I'm often accused of being hyperbolic, so my hyperbole and cynicism here may make for an interesting conversation. But just the brutality of the of the office right now, especially with how much more fear and and anger seems to be infused in. Uh, what used to be gatherings for worship and the local representation of the body of Christ is is uh, is just exhausting, and hmm. and I I understand some of that from my own experience, but can certainly then be able to empathize with more and more who are expressing a real exhaustion, and uh, it's I think in many ways it is a it's a job where we are as everyone else is called to put our crosses on our back and follow Jesus, abandon ourselves to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And so some of that does come with the territory, this sacrificial service, uh, as Jesus calls everyone to, but it, it, uh, it feels, I would, it sounds like from a number of conversations, increasingly thankless. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get many cards for uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> you know, I had uh, it was a was a wonderful little church, I, I should say, where I served for a good number of years, on and off, uh, three times, three different stints at this church, and really loved the people, 
and loved our time together and our reasons for closing at the end of last year were, were uh, unrelated to many of these sorts of things. And mm -hmm. it was just time to close and t time to deploy our disciple makers all around the, the Metroplex. But it was a wonderful experience and I'm so grateful for it. I wouldn't trade any of it for the world uh, and, mm -hmm. and I miss it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I still miss uh, shepherding in a local church context as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that's really intriguing to me about you all is a really uh, intentional ecumenical pursuit of trying to be a seminary that's pretty wide and broad in terms of like who you're trying to connect with and even like um, I'd imagine then that, that filters into how you teach or the kinds of professors that you look for. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about like what does it look like because it, you know one of the things obviously that's being talked about a ton is the fracturing of the church and churches moving into more and more echo chambers and really like one of the things that we saw during COVID was um, churches that had tried to walk some sort of like uh, wide middle ground, had a hard time based off of things like uh, mask policies or like when they opened or didn't open. And so you saw yeah. people or, or how they were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter or yeah. things like that, how they were or weren't engaging in that work. And so you started to see people filter out to churches that were more progressive, more fundamentalist, and so it's really intriguing to me that you all are plotting a way forward, trying to hold a wide ecumenicism. So, yeah, I would love to just like hear a bit about how that's working for you. Well, yeah. So again, it, just a, a provisional statement that all of this is a, is very much a work in progress and much of this is aspirational. Um, we aspire to be something beyond these factions and the factionalism that you're describing with these kind of camps that are moving further and further away from one another. We, we ache for a body of Christ that is more reflective of <laughs> the way things will be someday and ought to be now. And uh, we are trying to do things about it and we are working our way towards uh, a reality that is more reflective of ecumenism. Uh, for example, we've made some recent faculty hires that I think are reflective of this, this ecumenical diversity. We have an Anglican priest. We have a Roman Catholic uh, lay leader. We have a mainline Protestant Methodist mm. um, ministers. And then we have evangelical uh, trained and then also uh, where, where they worship or serve faculty as well. And um, so far, it feels like the space is safe enough for that. Uh, we do anticipate some bumps along the way. It's not as easy to uh, get folks to rally around. Uh, what do you stand for? You know, if, uh, that sort of question comes up a lot. And yeah. we say, well, the Apostles' Creed is our uh, statement of faith and our theological foundation and, and underpinning. So um, we're, we're learning, and I think right now to us, it seems the risk um, is worth this pursuit. I think I do speak for the board. I speak for faculty and staff and our student body that this is, uh, this is a, a good 
a good thing to be pursued for the sake of God's glory and again, to better reflect uh, future reality and what ought to be now. But it's, it's, we're finding some, it's difficult as yeah. well, as well. And so you had asked about how this gets reflected in the classroom uh, context. I think we are being more generously ecumenical uh, is one of our stated values to which we aspire. And uh, it, it means that our classes are not concerned with um, depositing certain theological content in a like a niche or a denominational way, these distinctive ways. We have folks who inhabit all of these segments and sectors from from uh, Christ's body. And so we are very much more interested in um, helping students gain familiarity with the landscape and then providing them with tools to continue their training and learning well after they're done with us here. So a lot more uh, how to learn than what to learn. I think it yeah. has, it has pushed, it's, it, it's, it's, um, I, as I was going to say, it pushes us in that direction, but that's the way we've been from the beginning. Uh, so it's, uh, just kind of where we find ourselves now. Yeah. I love that. I, um, uh, th there are two things that I was reminded of as you were sharing that uh, there was a um, when I felt called into ministry as an undergrad, I had to switch colleges because I was going to be an architect. And so like they amazingly architecture schools don't have ministry degrees. <laughs> and so there was there was a handful of schools that I was looking at. And I remember going to one of them and. I read their statement of faith and whatever. I was like 19 years old, but I was like, oh, I don't agree with this. And that's like pretty arrogant and cocky. And so I asked the admissions counselor, I was like, hey, if I'm if I'm in a Bible class or a theology class and I write a paper that disagrees with the statement of faith, but I can like show my work, um, how will I get graded? And they just straight up told me, they're like, yeah, you'll get an F. You need to be able to, and I didn't realize like how common that was that sort of like, yeah. no, you need to be able to show um, our beliefs, not your beliefs. And um, so that kind of like that kind of thinking, I don't know, like, isn't necessarily as common as folks might think it would be or should be mm. in the kind of spaces that you're in, mm. where it's like, hey, there's this wide landscape of Christian thought about this, and we want to expose you to it and help you learn to think about it. And I think I told you one of like a shifting point for me in my preaching was um, N.T. Wright had put out his big fat two volume work on Paul, and I bought it thinking that I would be a great theologian and read it, and then I got it and I looked at it and I put it up on my shelf <laughs> and like didn't open it again because it was overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. But then what he did was he wrote these like smaller books, like you know like here's the one for dummies, and then here's the like. So and so critiqued me, so I'm going to write a book critiquing them, which is what happens in the scholarly world, right? So I read those because they were much more accessible. Yeah. And he had this one phrase in there where he was talking about uh, something about one of the lists that Paul gives in one of his letters, and he said, "Here's the here's the problem: is we read it as if Paul is telling us what to think about things. That here's here's the five things that you should never do, or here's the five things that you should do, whatever." And he says, Paul wasn't telling people what to think. He was teaching them how to think. He was giving them examples to ignite their imagination for how to think messianically. Now that the Messiah has come, you've got new lens, and here's what that might look like. And 
this is meant to ignite your imagination, not to just simply be a list of what yeah. to think. Yeah. And that was this like turning point for me on both like some of the way that I engaged, especially Pauline texts, but also in like how I thought about my role as a pastor. So I tell all of that like long little thing to like, I would be really curious how that begins to work itself out sort of like pragmatically, because I think it's a really noble aspiration and it's a lot easier to do the other, to tell people what to think than it is to like create context and space for how to think. Like what, what does that end up looking like? Well, so I, I suppose most of our coursework on both our Bible and leadership side, which work hand in glove, I, I say hand in glove. It's the only two things we do is Bible and leadership, contextual leadership. And the Bible exists to undergird and support the leadership side, which is essentially more the, the capstone. The student we want to create is someone who's biblically fluent and capable of ministering in a diverse array of ministerial contexts and leadership contexts. And so we, we are interested to train towards a humility and a generosity of spirit as we engage in biblical texts, recovering as best we can the ancient contexts and then the practice of trying to bring them into our current context. This works across our two departments. Where the rubber really meets the road is in our leadership, um, biblical contextual leadership side of things with Dr. Moore as a bishop in the Methodist church. And uh, he's got his hands full because this is where you practically apply, practice and apply the sorts of skills that are necessary for a wide array of ministerial contexts uh, and, uh, and different vocational roles as well, not only context, but roles. And he's got everything from folks who work from home with some other job to folks who are senior pastors and, and different churches and he has he has um, taken a, an approach I think is really helpful and has certainly trickled down to the Bible side of things. He's trying to equip people with skills to solve problems, uh, and to do so in a to practice doing so in the the cohort and in community as folks work through things. He is uh, teaching essentially problem solving and whatever your context is. And so it, just his approach to the, the leadership development side of things in our program is one that is removed from saying, do this, think this, this is how you answer this question. There's a real humility that he infuses into the, the problem solving context. And, and, and these things are practiced and worked out in community. These students move through our curriculum and what we hope are loosely uh, related cohorts, more or less. You really do get to know and love and understand the folks that you move through with. And so they, they pour into each other as well with Dr. Moore as, as the coach. We do a, mm. a similar thing with, with scripture on the Bible side. There are certainly things that we stand for and advocate for, but we are interested in, in teaching a, a methodological approach to scripture that is not unique to us. Uh, it's uh, just how to be mindful of the context of scripture and then how to read the different kinds of writing that we uh, approach in scripture and then how to then work out what it means in our own context. And we do that similarly to Dr. Moore, um, a step or two removed from 
this is what you need to do with this issue. So I'll get um, students who will ask questions as we're working our way through things. What does this mean about salvation? What does this mean about women in ministry? What does this mean about, you know, pick your issue? And I'll say, well, we have students with uh, several different opinions about these things. And here are the, the standard ways of having a conversation about that. And a conversation is what we must have. We can't just outright reject the other. And so here are some resources for you to begin your work in uh, trying to figure out how to understand this issue and what sort of decision you'll make with the Spirit of God, presumably guiding you in your context with the people of God. Hmm. So... I would imagine one thing that some folks might not understand who are listening to this is, um, is I would imagine that affects your funding because, uh, <laughs> because, and I'll say this, uh, so that it's not, it's not coming from you and you might not even, you might not even, uh, be on board with this so that we're clear that this is coming from me. One of the things that we're seeing several, uh, Christian colleges and seminaries do is move further and further right on um, on having specific positions on things. And a lot of it has to do with funding. A lot of it has to do with like, as you have, as you create clarity around taking certain stances that align with certain religious right ideals, um, there's funding that's there. And if you instead say there's this wide berth of Christian understanding on this, and we're not going to, as a seminary, take a specific stand on those things, but instead encourage students on how to process that information in order to come to their own conclusions on that, I would imagine that that makes it incredibly difficult to fund uh, to fund an organization. You know, um, yes, there's certainly a cynical side that uh, sees things like this coming down the pike. And uh, acknowledges absolutely what you're saying is is true. I, I do think, though, I find it a, a f an invigorating challenge to, as, as the president, I think some of this is my role as the, the, the chief cheerleader, the chief inspirer, to inspire people to the vision of God for the people of God, which is much more beautiful than some partisan or some uh, factional group of people. And I, I find it, I'm quite compelled by this vision of, of God for his, for his body, his people. And, and I, I think we can find enough folks <laughs> who are interested in this as well. Uh, right now, I, I agree with your assessment. I think that it, it feels pretty stark and, and maybe bleak. I do think in the years to come, Though, as whatever this is, the dust settles from it, I think there will be a, a more visceral understanding of the importance of this sort of uh, ecumenism. I, I think there, there, there will be so few less of us that if you follow Jesus and uh, you, you want to do so in this community, then by all means, come on in. Uh, mm. there, there are things that it feels like matter more fundamentally than others and and what we do i i feel obligated and even i enjoy trying to coach people uh, that we're engaging with donors included that that we exist for something bigger and more beautiful than that this vision of god is is far more beautiful and compelling when you see how big the table is 
and, and I do anticipate there will be bumps and we'll probably in uh, my weaker moments wish that we wouldn't have to keep <laughs> slogging away at this, but, but I, I, uh, we, we, so far it's been our experience. Now, I guess some of this is because our scale is so small. Uh, our experience has been a really wonderful group of folks from a diverse array of backgrounds that have chosen to partner with us. Uh, as we do this, we, we don't want just one side or the other. We want folks from all across our, the, the landscape to be in yeah. the room together and to be attentive to each other's fears and hopes and needs and, to, and to do this thing together. I love that. I love that. Well, you all are doing stuff, um, to not just, you, I mean, you mentioned earlier that there's classes where you've got a senior pastor, but you've also got people that are not doing vocational ministry roles that I assume are interested in the kind of education that you get in a seminary that they're not necessarily getting in their church, that they're not getting through a sermon or through a Sunday school class, uh, by somebody who's maybe like teaching a Sunday school class, who's well-meaning, but just doesn't have the same sort of like educational background to be able to, to delve into some of the stuff. Like, do you, can you talk a little bit about like, what's the stuff that you're doing to help, uh, engage a broader section, not just of, um, theological vantage points, but also of kinds of people. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we say often, uh, is that we're reimagining seminary for anyone, anywhere. There are, as, uh, as I've been told, I'm going to just spit these statistics out because they come from a board member and he must be right. Uh, there are 30,000 seminary graduates every year, but 300 million professing believers in the U S uh, and, and that's a, that's a way bigger target audience. That's a, that's a lot of people who I think you'll agree need to be equipped and need to be trained in ways that would really benefit the church. And so we're finding ourselves drawn towards and our imaginations, I guess, provoked towards wondering how we can provide world-class seminary training for anyone, anywhere. And so one of the things that we've tried and begun to do and piloted and it's just in its infancy, but we hope it's something that can really take off is what we're calling lunchtime seminary, which is providing in a distilled manner, uh, something like seminary training that we bring to folks in the workplace. So we have, uh, this, what we've tried is 10 hours, 10 weeks, sorry, <laughs> 10 weeks, one hour a week over a lunch break. And right now it's noon central. So, you know, uh, different, different time zones would be a little bit different and, and really just getting to explore to, to a depth and degree that they wouldn't, folks wouldn't otherwise, a uh, particular subject and whoever the faculty person's area of interest or expertise is. So now, uh, for example, I'm going to be teaching a class in the gospel of Luke and lunchtime seminary class coming up starting September 7th, Wednesdays, noon central. And, uh, it's going to be 10 weeks and the background and context of the gospel of Luke from the old Testament and second temple period into Luke, and then we'll finish in acts and a real chance just to have human interaction with seminary professor and with other folks as you engage, hopefully more deeply and become equipped to guide others to do the same. I think the goal is the same in our degree classroom and then in lunchtime seminary and any other initiatives is to make more capable and fully equipped disciples of Jesus. Uh, so that means, um, equipped and obedient. 
uh, these lives that respond to the God that folks are coming to know more deeply and then uh, able to guide others to be able to do the same. I love that. I mean, my time in um, pastoring a church showed me like people really wanted uh, more genuinely like more education like they i thought sometimes and i i was a i was guilty of doing this sometimes we would um give people a hard time that they'd say they'd say something like your teaching's not deep enough or whatever and that's a whole different conversation about preaching and the role of preaching and all of that yeah but one of the felt needs that was being expressed in that is that people are like i i actually want to learn more about the scriptures yeah, and we would do these. Um, the school, the church I was at was called Parkcrest, and so I called them Parkcrest School of Theology. Mm-hmm. And we would teach these like short-term classes that would be like the one that I always had the most um, people show up to was I would do a theology of Revelation for like <laughs> six weeks, and <laughs> of course, that's <laughs> yeah, that's how you, that's how you pack out the crowds. Uh-huh. There it is. Um, but like we would spend the first week like dismantling dispensational premillennialism, and then we would just kind of like we would walk through highlighted themes throughout Revelation. Anyways, like people were super engaged, yeah. and it was always so much like it was fun for me because I was like, oh, this is like this is fun stuff to get to talk about, right. and I don't normally like this isn't stuff I get to talk about on a Sunday morning from the stage. Yeah, and it felt like oh, people like people want to engage in understanding more of the um, depth is a wrong word, but maybe understanding more contextually how to engage the scriptures, thoughtfully how to engage the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's wonderful, the thing that you did. And I think these sorts of things are going on in all kinds of churches across the world. Um, Certainly here in the U.S., it tends to be a little better resourced church that can afford the time and space yep. has the margin for that sort of thing and and the expertise at your level and so on to be able to to, to offer these things in a meaningful way. Um, we were here to serve uh, churches. Not uh, it sounds like I'm. We'll outsource that for you. You know, it's not it's not that we we would love to serve churches that that are interested in this that need this folks in churches. Uh, we really think, like you say, this. Uh, a theological education is to come to know God more deeply, to have an opportunity in some space to know the God of the scriptures more deeply, believe in him more confidently, have your faith increased, and then to be equipped to serve and obey um, you know, more and more adequately. And, and so in that way, we're not doing anything to compete with churches or uh, we 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 serve the church. We serve the local church, and uh, hope to be able to reproduce the sorts of things that you're saying. Offer offer this opportunity for more and more folks. And because mm. I, I think that's a, a, just a wonderful thing about being digital. There certainly are drawbacks. I've I've uh, I have shaken your hand, but I haven't actually met face to face many of my students, uh, whom I feel great affection for and feel like I've gotten to know quite well. But it is from a distance and um but that also does provide for some opportunities remarkable opportunities that open up to be able to serve churches all over uh, all at the same time and to bring people together in a room where we can all learn from each other i think that's uh, something that is really a, a, f- a feature of this digital learning space that we've tried to lean into is real person-to-person communal engagement not just some you know read a book and write a paper and then email the professor um, and all we do, we really are trying to lean in 
on this communal, uh, shared learning sort of space. Yeah. Well, I love that. So if, um, if somebody was somebody who's a part of a church and wants to learn more, or maybe even a pastor who feels a little bit, uh, undereducated in some areas and needs to like, cause one of the, one of the things that was positive, but also had some negatives in the movement of the church for the last 20 years is that there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of hiring from within in the church which has been wonderful at like recognizing the church has these great gifted people within it to yeah. help lead and serve, but they end up not having a level of um, biblical theological education that they are expected to uh, be speaking on in some sort of way, or even like directing curriculum or all, they're doing all right. sorts of stuff yep. and they're doing it out of being a, a bit undereducated in this area. So like if they wanted to dip their toes in to this sort of stuff with doing like a lunchtime seminary, is that just like on your website? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, my, uh, director of development would, would be really mad if I didn't say pillarseminary.org. Yeah. slash lunchtime seminary is uh, okay. where you can find us. We have a pillar equip pull down menu on our um, pillar seminary website that has lunchtime seminary. Uh, really though, I, I think it, it just depends on what sorts of training you're interested in. Our degree programs all feed into each other. And so everyone starts out the same and takes what we call our certificate courses, this foundational level of classes that move then into the MA and then further into the MDiv. And the certificate is 11 hours and I think would be a wonderful option for folks to really dip their toes in deep learning, mm. uh, seminary level learning. All of our degrees go through the certificate to get to the MA and the MDiv. And so that's another option for folks who want a little more. Um, but, but yeah, lunchtime seminary is, it's just in the process of being built out. So we just taught a class on Book of Proverbs from uh, Old Testament faculty member who this was her area of expertise and now I'm doing the gospel of Luke. So there's not really as many options yet, but it is, sure. it is like, uh, I, I think in keeping with our big table, a space, if there is a market enough to justify doing this lunchtime seminary, what we hope to do is build it out and invite many other professors from all different, uh, walks of life and denominations and uh, theological inclinations to teach a course uh, in their area of expertise. So it would be an opportunity for us to really have a big table and learn from all kinds of folks is, mm. is what we hope, not just our people. So it's good. Um, well, Dan, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are people who feel like the phrase that we've been using for a little while is feel ecclesiologically homeless, mm. not really sure where they fit in the church world anymore. Many of them are pastors or other kinds of church leaders, and then a bunch of them are just, um, not just, but are folks who have a robust faith in Christ, and they're just like, I don't, I I can't figure out where I fit in the church world anymore. I'd love, um, as somebody who is a seminary president, I'd love to, just as we wrap up, for you to offer some thoughts, some words. I don't know if you have some encouragement, a challenge, a... Um, questions that you're wrestling through, yeah. what, what you might say to that group of people who find themselves kind of in the space of like, I don't really know where I fit in the church anymore. Yeah, I um, I wish I could be more encouraging. I feel that way too mm -hmm. uh, right now. I think that m maybe we could end where we began. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Uh, 
Um, the, the people of God and the purposes of God through his people to redeem the world are so important uh, that at least in our own family search for a new church, uh, many of our preferences have taken a further backseat than we thought they would uh, as we, we find just the absolute importance of being a part of a local body and serving uh, deeply and serving well. I, I, uh, I guess I, th the words I could offer that I hope are encouraging is you're not alone. Uh, I think this is uh, more and more normal. You're not doing it wrong if you feel more and more homeless. Uh, of course, I'm not just trying to justify myself. I, I really do think this is a moment in the history of our church in America where this is, this is happening. And so what you're feeling is legitimate. What you're going through is real and valid and your sense of homelessness is, um, is, is justifiable in many ways. And I, I would encourage to do what we are trying to do as a family, uh, here, which is to try to find a place, even if it's not perfect to, to commit to, and to serve. I understand though, my sense of homelessness is, uh, come about by far less violence than uh, many others have this kind of invoked this feeling in others. And so church is in a safe space for many and justifiably so again. So, um, I, I'm not saying, you know, swallow it and, uh, you know, just get over it and, and get back in, in the game. There's real pain and real trauma and real abuse and, and real hurt. Uh, so you're not alone. I have found myself to be greatly encouraged by the thing that you're doing here, Mike, and, uh, to, to just be able to associate with others who feel in the same way that, that can understand my fears and doubts and anger and frustration. So I, I, I know this is the second year of the gathering, but uh, hopefully, hopefully you get some stuff together here, bud, and, uh, <laughs> and really take this thing uh, a lot further because what you're doing is, is a wonderful balm. I think for the soul of many, it's a real need and I, I've benefited from it and appreciate it so much. Mm, that's really kind of you. Well, um, so it's pillarseminary.org and uh, Dan, you're such a gift. I'm really grateful for you. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. I'm grateful that I've been getting to know you some yeah. and yeah, thanks well, for likewise. making some time today. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the invitation and thanks for the conversation. It's always enriching. Look forward to the next time.